Good morning, afternoon or evening, wherever you are in the world and welcome to the Bloody Awesome Movie Podcast. My name is Matt Hudson from What I Watched Tonight and joining me from across the pond, this guy is everything. I'm just Matt. It's John Burke from BurkeReviews.com. How are you, sir? Hey, I'm, I'm doing very good. Uh, all the Barbie references went spiraling in my head. Um, yeah, you know, I'm Alan, actually. Uh, I, I wear all of Ken's clothes. Wait, what? Um, how's it going, sir? Yeah, good. I'm excited. If you may have got by the by the tone and timber of my vocal there, I'm excited for this week's one. Uh, Bamp. It's been a it's been a historic, it's been a monumental week in cinema, not just post COVID, but for the last few decades, dare I say. And of course, we're going to get on to the whys and hows and what's of that shortly. But yeah, no, I'm doing very well, my friend. Um, day off work today, so we're recording a little bit early. I can see the sh- sunshine still. It's me who's going to have his dinner before you, which doesn't often happen. Um, but yeah, it's been a busy, busy time, my friend. It'll be covering a lot of the Fantasia Film Festival uh, flicks. We've we've both been burning through uh, as many of those as we can, and we're going to be talking about that on upcoming weeks. So a lot of my time has been spent watching films, but also trying not to get burnt out watching films. Uh, obviously, they're all under embargo, so I'm not going to give any kind of idea of whether I'm having a great time or not, but... Obviously, watching a lot of films can get quite uh, tedious, so you've got to find ways to uh, stay out of that funk. Uh, and I'm finding it via tea, coffee, and chocolate truffles at the minute. But uh, I need to know, though, my friend, how are you finding that over there in the States? How's your kind of week of movie watching been, and just week in general? Well, I um, I did start to feel the burnout, and uh, I was just looking at the list, and I think I front loaded a lot of the movies I was excited about. And so that made me like less excited to watch more. Um, Cause I'm like, well, I don't even know if I really want to see these. I just ended up with them. Yeah. And, um, and it's just, I don't know. I, the weekend I started, I, I'm very close to having to go back to work. Ugh. And normally that's a good thing. Uh, this year it, it feels more like going back to work. Like, um, you know, like it, most listeners who aren't teachers, would uh like that Sunday evening where you start realizing you have to get up and go back to work. That's what like the next two weeks is going to feel like for me is this like really giant Sunday where I'm just like, Oh man, it's so close. And every second, uh, if I'm not doing something worthwhile, it feels like I'm wasting my free time. And that causes me to go into like paralysis where I basically do nothing because I'm so worried about losing my time. But that's obviously the worst thing is I'm, I'm literally not doing anything, but I had, that was my weekend. I was very much like in my own head, just like, there's so many things that I should do. And I don't want to do any of those things, I know but I also mean. have no desire to do the other things. So I'm just going to sit here and stare at my, my blank screen and, and, pa- and get anxious about it all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so that was, that didn't help. Uh, yesterday though, Monday, I kind of, I, I approached, the festival with more of like, I'm going to work attitude from like, all right, so I'm going to get up and instead of uh, acting like I'm on vacation, I'm going to go to work. And I wrote my, a couple of reviews I hadn't written. And then I jumped into a couple of movies. Nice. Um, and, you know, I ended up watching three movies yesterday from the festival. So I, I'm, I'm kind of back in the flow. I'm still like, I have other stuff starting to trickle in. So I'm like having to, to balance a little bit more, but yeah, you know, I love covering festivals. I definitely prefer covering them there because even when you when it's tedious there it's you're you're at least 
out you know like there's yeah. more of a desire to go like i'm not having the just the action of clicking a link to start the movie feels like more of a decision than like going to the theater for some reason it's an experience like, isn't it yeah I, I don't know what it is but like it's still exhausting like the festivals that i've been to in person after three or four days you're you're burnt out <clears throat> but i i don't mind getting up and going where like now it's like well but I don't have to watch the movie. There's, there's my, all my stuff is here. You know what I'm saying? Like there's all the other things I can do that if I was out at a festival, I wouldn't have all of my stuff. I would just be like in a hotel room. So it's like, I can sit in this hotel room and do nothing or go to the theater. I'm going to go to the theater. We're like yeah. sitting here. I'm like, well, my, my PlayStation's right there. I could just turn that on. And then that when you're like in New Orleans, you get all that delicious food as well. And the trip there. It's, all, it's the experience, isn't it? Getting there, it having is. a great time, coming back. Yeah, it's busy as hell because you watch the films, you're tired, <laughs> but you've got to write about them whilst they're still in your head. Um, no, exactly. I, I know what you mean. There are pros and cons. And like you said, I'm, I love doing it and I'm very privileged. Um, so I hope anyone listening doesn't think anything other than the fact that we really dig doing it. Thing is, what we do is like John said, we spend the first four or five days absolutely hammering through films <laughs> and then realize that, oh my God, we've left ourselves so much work that that becomes almost a, a hindrance. Um, so what I've tried to do now is think, right, the festival runs until the 9th of August, I think. I've now got enough in the bank to pretty much put out one review a day uh, because of the embargoes up until then. Uh, so for the last half of the festival, I can kind of enjoy what other people are saying about the film. So um, do keep your eyes out. We are going to be covering the Fantasia uh, Film Festival on our next main edition of the Bloody Awesome Movie Podcast. So we're going to be talking about a lot of films which we are able to talk about because the embargo is up for better, for worse, for maybe in between but you'll find out so we are going to be covering it here and of course check out what i watched tonight.co.uk and burkreviews.com for all of our written reviews so that's happening over in montreal but around the world john a phenomenon has happened we've all been taken you're either one or the other no not anymore everybody has come together to celebrate barbenheimer barbie and oppenheimer both dropped on the same day last week, 21st of July, 2023. For the longest time, it just became a bit of a, oh, which one are you going to watch? I bet, you know, the these guys are going to watch Oppenheimer and these girls are going to watch Barbie and it's going to be really kind of um, clicky like that. And then as the, uh, the months approached the release date, the memes started, the viral videos, the interviews, the actors kind of all, all praising each other's films and holding photo, uh, pictures of their tickets in front of our posters and actors saying, I can't wait to go and see the other film that's releasing on the same day. It's been wild and people have been getting very excited on, on the internet. And this is when the film community is at its best. When everyone just gets together and has a great time, you know, it, it gets involved, it gets involved in the self-aware fun and, We've also been blessed, possibly, with two very good films that we are going to talk about tonight in Barbie and Oppenheimer. We're going to start with Barbie, and then JB is going to introduce Oppenheimer with our thoughts on that. These are going to be non-spoiler reviews as well. We are not going to spoil either of the films. We're fully aware one of them is a barpic. We're still not going to spoil the major moments or sequences from that. We are going to be dropping two spoiler minisodes in the upcoming days separate ones for Barbie and Oppenheimer in case you guys haven't seen both of them you can just check out the one you have seen first we're going to go in full spoilers in the next few days these are non-spoiler episodes uh, and also going to be eschewing the media consumption section for this week so it's going to be a little bit of a shake up on the show but trust me it's going to be better than ever 
let's talk about Barbie, JB. Barbie, directed yep. by Greta Gerwig, written by Greta Gerwig and her husband, Noah Bornback. You know who, who it stars, Margot Robbie and Ryan Gosling, alongside Issa Rae, Kate McKinnon, Harry Neff, Sharon Rooney, Simu Liu. So many, many more people are in this film. Uh, non-spoiler synopsis, JB, Barbie suffers a crisis that leads her to question her world and her existence. How is it doing, JB? I think by now everybody knows, so let's cut to, straight to it. Rotten Tomatoes, critic score 91%, audience score 90%. The meta score for Barbie is 80, which is very high. 7.6 out of 10 on IMDb for the user score and a huge 4.2 out of 5 on Letterboxd. Uh, And as you mentioned, this film was out only in cinemas and that is the place to go and see it because if it was anything like mine, it would would be packed. And I went to a, a separate, a different film last night, Talk To Me, and I looked up at the board and the upcoming shows of Barbie at uh, half seven, eight and I think like nine o'clock sold out. And everybody who was going to Barbie was dressed up. And if they weren't dressed up, you knew who was going to see Barbie because there was just a, a fun excitement in the air. And that's what I got in the screening. It's just everyone was very excited to see this film. There was a party atmosphere. I got the impression that for a lot of people, they didn't even care if it's a good film. They just wanted to have fun. JB is the best day ever as Barbie said, and that weekend probably could have been because Barbie, I thought, was damn good. I thought Barbie was fantastic. This Barbie film, when it was first announced, this is not what I thought the Barbie movie would be. I thought it would be more animated films where Barbie goes to New York and learns to sing and becomes a pop star or or something like this. And, you know, as as we now know, uh, Greta Gerwig's scripts, it speaks of empowerment. It speaks of independence. And as a rallying call to everybody watching, note the emphasis on it on everybody watching is humour throughout. Most of it is very good. And there's a lot of self-awareness, which I liked as well. Uh, this isn't a smug film. This is a very self-aware film and they have a great time with it. Now, this film is for everybody, regardless of what you may have heard online. A lot of those thoughts I am going to keep for the spoiler discussion, but this isn't a film attacking men or anything like that watch the film you'll get the message and it's a very good message as well but um as for the film though i thought it was a, like riotously entertaining i thought it was an absolute blast uh, i did it, 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 the at the beginning i thought it kind of it, it kind of sagged a little bit at the very beginning and some of the jokes i thought were good uh most of them are actually in the some of them in the trailer and they're the ones i wasn't as keen on but very quickly the film gets gets for me it got into its gear very quickly Margot Robbie is the perfect Barbie. I mean, she obviously is obviously unbelievably attractive. Uh, so she fits the bill there. She's a fantastic actor. We all know that as well. Uh, and she really rings her A game. Ryan Gosling maybe stills the show here as Ken. His Kennedy is off the chart. And I, I felt that Kennedy, my man. I came out thinking, you know, I'm just Ken. I'm good enough. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I am Ken enough, but... Yeah, Ryan Gosling is fantastic. We all know anyone who's seen things like The Nice Guys or anything like that, that the guy is extremely talented uh, as a comedian or of comic timing more than anything. Uh, and he brings that here. And he's also having the time of his life. Uh, I think, like I mentioned, the gags are very good. Mattel, who obviously owned and created Barbie, uh, they're in on the joke. A lot of them are at the expense of Mattel. 
the the pacing once he got past for me the open in 10 15 minutes i think the pacing's very smart uh i do think the final kind of act stretched on a little bit too long but didn't it, it, it was such a good what the message they were getting across and what we were seeing was so unexpected that you know you know i i, I looked past it but the the musical numbers are great as well jb like the choreography oh. the music the songs the way they the way they come in as well because we've we've you and i have seen musicals where you kind of think why the hell we you know it's an odd place for that song to come in but no they they put them in at the just at the right moment production design excellent hair and makeup costume like the oscar uh categories excellent jb um yeah so in terms of the actual film had a great time like the comedy comedy love the script love love loved the script such a sharp script it's got one of my favorite jokes of the year in here john where uh, at one point barbie is called a fascist and she's like oh it's something like that that's not my fault that I, I i don't deal with the trains or something like that which made me howl um kind of harking back to the mussolini gags of old um some very clever jokes in here uh the some of the things that i weren't so keen on will ferrell's in this film and i like will ferrell but you know uh, the stuff the uh, his scenes and sequences they were the honestly least enjoyable they didn't work as much for me i don't know why even though this is kind of his shtick it still didn't feel quite right in this film jb um so that was one of the things i think the messages they get across are excellent uh i will come out and say i've mentioned it in my review that i think while whilst important sometimes they can feel very heavy-handed and uh it almost felt like it was kind of pointing at the audience breaking the fourth wall a bit too much uh at times there's one very good speech in the film which was as i mentioned very good but it also felt as i it kind of felt like it was thrown in for the moment. Um, but that's just me. Uh, other than that though, JP, I'll, I'll give, I'll give you a chance now because you know, I'm, I'm sitting here, I'm covered in pink glitter. I'm just Ken. I've got the speedos on. I'm just beach. Um, I loved it. JB it's again, it's not a perfect film. It won't work for everyone because we've seen that lots of, uh, people online who maybe well, are secure within themselves. And yeah. Very upset JB, but I had a blast. My Kennedy levels are satisfied. John life in plastic. It is fantastic. I enjoyed it. Caveats here and there. What about yourself, my man? Um, I absolutely love this movie. I think even a lot of the things that you uh, just went through, I'm like, I didn't, none of that bothered me. The only thing I will say though, Will Ferrell, his character felt like, what if Buddy the Elf became a CEO of a company? Um, <laughs> because there's even a tickle fight in the movie, which is like straight out of, of Elf. Um, and uh, so like that stuff, it was funny. It was silly. And it did feel a little more improv than the rest of the movie because everything else feels very scripted, but in a good way, like the, it's very purposeful and functional. Will Ferrell known, I think for kind of improv his bits, that's definitely what those scenes feel like, but I don't know. They were, they were still joyous. I'm just like, yeah, okay, cool. Um, on board. Uh, I, I had a smile on my face through, I think the entirety of the film yeah. minus the scenes that made me cry, which I was not anticipating. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of cruel movie uh i think worthy of note too the cast list that we read is from imdb and it, it appears to list it in order of appearance um where like letterbox america ferrera is build three and she should be because she's kind of the like secret protagonist she's definitely this the, the co-protagonist behind barbie um yeah, and then ariana greenblatt hearts, yeah 
yeah, um, Ariana Greenblatt is the daughter of America Fer- Ferrera, and she's an important role too. And she's billed fourth on Letterboxd. And I think those names we definitely got to get out there. Some of the names, I don't know if they would be considered spoilers or not. Um, there's definitely a lot out there at this point. Like it, it's people are talking about this movie. So many character posters as well. I think they everybody did. knows the big stars. Yeah. But um, Margot Robbie uh, is perfect for this because I don't, I don't think there is a, I, I, she might be the best working actress like all the way around because she can do everything. Um, she's really funny. She's uh, her ability to cry is ridiculous because she like legit can, I think just bring a single tear or like the, the works, whatever you need. And I do, I have often cited uh, an actor or actress's ability to cry believably as a quality of their, their talent um, because it's hard to fake cry. Like there's, some like Jennifer Lawrence is an actress who I think cries terribly in movies. Um, but she, when she's doing the other stuff, she's really good. But if you ask her to be like sad, she doesn't do a good job. I think Robbie can just do everything in this movie. She, she does. And it's in, it's insane. It's fantastic. Um, yeah. Just so, so impressive. Um, and Gosling has been one of my favorite actors. Uh, I loved him in this and I, I, I don't want to, uh, give him as much credit as i am because i want it's it's margot robbie's movie like this is it, yeah uh but he does he does so much that's just incredible uh as ken all of the ken bits work really well that's a funny sentence that i didn't mean to be a, a double entendre but it is um I, I, I there's so many jokes there's the the musical stuff i had no idea going into this there was going to be full-on musical numbers and they are some of my favorites. Uh, like there's just so much to appreciate about this film. Um, I, I don't get the ability that some people have to ignore the inequalities of, of men and women when there's like concrete evidence to support that women are treated differently than men, like across the board. Um, and so, you know, anyone who's like, Oh, the feminist agenda, it's like the, they want to be treated the same. Like, why is that an agenda? Like, I don't like, it's such a foundational, like, Hey, don't treat me different than other people. It should be. Oh, okay. You're right. Like, I don't get the struggle and it's, it baffles me every time, especially when people act like it's made up. I'm just like, it's one thing if you want to sit there and say they don't deserve it. If that's what your state, your stance is that women don't deserve to be treated the same as men. Just come out and say it. They come out and say it. To pretend like it's not a thing is ridiculous, and to be upset that they would want it is even more ridiculous. Because it's like if Greenness. it's clearly the reason why there are people who are against women being treated equal is because they're afraid that they will be treated worse all of a sudden, right? Like if it's women just, were in power, not going to happen. It's, yeah, and that's it's always the same demographic of person who worries about this as well. So yeah, well, exactly. Exactly the point. It's like if, if you look at this movie and you are like feeling attacked, well, maybe you are because like you're, <laughs> you're doing horrible things. Like, don't do that. Like, treat people kindly. Treat people. I don't know. Like, we tell kindergartners how you want to be treated. Hmm, what a weird concept that that was a kindergarten staple rule, the golden rule that we still have to like adults who don't abide by it. And it's such a foundational thing because that's ultimately we just want to be okay. Right. Like that's all I've ever wanted. I just want to be okay. Yeah. I don't need a 40 minute YouTube video of somebody telling me why I shouldn't like Barbie and I should feel attacked and insulted by Barbie. No, I had a bloody good time. I had such fun. Like you, John, it's, 
I had a smile on my face. Like, and even the moments I mentioned, which were which weren't as satisfying, shall we say, as the others. My man, man, I'm this still almost hit the perfect five out of five for me. It's just when things are so good, I almost notice things which are a step down, shall we say, for want of a better term. But like with Will Ferrell, didn't dislike him at all. I just thought, if, if like I think it's the, the the elf comparison is fat, like the, that's fantastic. That's what it felt like. It felt like he'd been. It's Will Ferrell, but it's almost from a different film, and the the elf thing is is perfect, JB. That's that's exactly yeah. uh, kind of summed up what I wanted to say. But yeah, I mean, the, the focus is on what it is to be a woman in society and everything around that, and you know, struggles in the face of the patriarchy, which is a real thing because, like you say, it is a documented fact. It isn't made up, and you know, there's nobody should be watching this thinking, yeah, this is an attack on me, when it isn't. I watched it and thought, wow, this is fun. Oh my God, I can't believe how good looking Ryan Gosling is or Margot Robbie. This is unfair. And they're also so talented. What's going on? And wow, maybe maybe the patriarchy does does run on, you know, how manly things like horses are. My man, every time Ryan Gosling, Ken, spoke about horses in his film, again, that <laughs> set me off. Because I, f- firstly, I thought of John because John isn't a huge yeah. fan of horses in film. Um, so I thought that would have got his heckles up. But it's also just the... St- just stupidness of it horses and the mojo dojo cast everything about ken's idea of what it is to be a man was was fantastic to watch and that's one of the things where um i don't know that gerwig gets enough credit like she gets a lot of credit but she's a master at at filmmaking like she understands visual storytelling the scene when he walks into the city center or whatever that place is called I don't, I don't think it's right, but whatever it's called, like he walks into this building, it's like this kind of corporate structure and he, uh, he observes men being men. Like there's two guys on a punching bag and then there's, uh, they, in that, there's like a little montage of him, like observing all of these masculine behaviors. And in that scene, I, I don't remember what happened. I laughed and I think I looked down for half a second. The first time I saw it, I, I've seen this twice, by the way. Um, and the second time I watched it, and there they cut for just a split second. They cut to uh, "Grease Lightning," the the song from Grease. Like there's Danny Zuko, and <laughs> later in the film, that's clearly referenced. In fact, everything in the uh, the Casa Dojo. Wait, what is it? Um, oh no, um, Mojo Dojo Casa Mojo House. Dojo Casa House. <laughs> yeah, everything there is stuff from that that sequence. Like there's a guy wearing a big mink coat. The hence why he's wearing the mink <laughs> coat. Like everything's set up and then paid off uh real quick simple show don't tell it's there if you observe it but it's it's all he has observed this and then just brought it back um and i love the sequence when he's asking for jobs and they're just like you don't have the qualifications or like he's talking to the woman doctor and he just completely ignores her um and then at the beach he's like no 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 i'm more equipped to just stand here and look cool like (laughs) i just just stand here and just that's what I do. It's my man. I'm, uh, to the, to your point as well, man. Practical effects throughout. Oh, how much yeah. better this film look with the and if, especially if you see the BTS of how they made this brilliant. And that's kind of falls into the self awareness of it as well. You know, you could like the sets look like they are Barbie like toys that you play with as a kid or whatever. And I love that they brought that energy to it as well. But the, the, and, that, and that kind of plays into the attention to detail that you were that you were mentioning because it probably would have been a lot easier to CG some of the, some of this stuff like the um how they got get from Barbie Land to the real world and vice versa they probably could have CG'd that and you know just or, or done something else but no they went full practical and uh, you know they they got these really really clever transitions 
and it plays to Greta Gerwig's strength. I mean, all the films she's released, I've enjoyed in varying uh, degrees, but I've enjoyed them all. They've all been extremely well-made films, and the fact that Barbie could be the best one of the lot of the minute is 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 saying something. But um, but I'm just Ken. Is all I'm going to say. That when that song came on as well, people erupted in the theatre, and, that, and that's what I love, JB, as well. This whole the whole weekend. This is this is a weekend that we're going to talk about as film fans genuinely for years to come. I think it will actually be studied in a way in terms of how viral marketing can absolutely pump up your your your, your box office, which I know we're going to mention. But mm-hmm. um, just the happiness that I saw in this screening, like. People, people going wild when Ken's saying, you know, put your manly hand in mine. People are screaming and laughing and it's mm-hmm. brilliant. And that's what I want from a from my cinema going experience. But certainly a film like Barbie, this could have been awful. Let, let's face it, you know, f- we know the stories of who could have been in it or the story of what could have been. And it could have been awful, but I somehow managed to make a, what, what do they call it? This ext- existential human drama in a Barbie film, and yeah, the the way it goes, the journey, the and the destination is extremely, extremely well done. Very, very clever. I love the sharp writing. I love the look of this film. The performances are sensational. I think it is going to certainly sweep the Oscar nominations for those below the line categories, and maybe some of the big ones as well. We'll see. So excited! Look, we're already talking about Oscars, and it's only August almost. But um, yeah. I really enjoyed this. I can't wait to get into the spoilers about this, but do you have anything else you want to chuck in for Barbie uh, right now, JB? No, I think that is a good stopping point for Barbie. I do feel like, I mean, we covered pretty extensively because it is so great. It is so much fun. Yeah. So uh, Barbie, two thumbs up from the both of us. But Barb and Heimer would be nothing, John, if it was just Barb. Let's talk about the Unheimer yeah. part. So I am, I think on this podcast, a noted Christopher Nolan fanboy. I love his movies um pretty much across the board i have issues with some uh you know but i still even like tenet i still found things that i get into i like his uh he likes to play around with time and i've enjoyed pretty much everything um and i i think nolan is when you like listen to him in interviews he's clearly a a lover of the craft and that's something that i am uh you know, big on because I think this is, I, I personally feel film is the most important art that's ever been created. I think it combines all of the other arts and brings them into one place. And when done well, um, becomes incredibly important piece of history. And Nolan has done that in a lot of cases. I, I think all of his films do something revolutionary. He's, he's pushed for you know, film to survive and he's been a big advocate. So I'm really excited to see Oppenheimer doing well in theaters. But if you didn't know, listener, it's directed by Nolan written by him, Kai Bird and Martin Sher- Sherwin. Sorry. I don't know why that's such an easy name. I don't know what, what threw me off about it. Maybe because it was too easy. Um, <laughs> it stars pretty much any actor you've <laughs> ever heard of. Uh, yes. It, it, like, like we're not going to read all the names, but the, the ones we will read Killian Murphy, um, Emily Blunt, Matt Damon, Robert Downey Jr., um, RDJ, as we like to call him here, uh, Alden Ehrenreich, who he's making a comeback, folks. We had Cocaine Bear and now Oppenheimer. Um, he's in something you know, else coming up as well, which apparently I can't remember what it's called, but he's very good in that apparently as well. Well, I, I'm glad to see him surviving solo because I was really worried his yeah. career got shoved down a rabbit hole because so good in Hail Caesar. Yeah. Uh, 
uh, Scott Grimes, um, and then just to name some other ones, we got Florence Pugh, Benny Safdie, uh, Michael Angarano, I'm sure I said that correctly, Josh Hartnett, Rami Malek, Kenneth Branagh, uh, <laughs> Dane DeHaan, who I hadn't seen Dane DeHaan in a minute, by the way. I was Same. shocked. I was like looking at him like, is that Dane DeHaan? That can't be Dane yep, DeHaan. Is that him? Um, half of this movie was me going, is that so-and-so? Yeah, um, Oscars everywhere. Yeah. Oh, I mean, so many. Um, we'll stop there, but there's a lot more. Uh, some, I don't feel like there's necessarily any spoilers. I will say Alex Wolf is in this for like four seconds. He like waves at the screen almost like he's barely in the movie, but I'm like, Hey, Alex Wolf. And yep. then he's gone. Um, it's wild. Uh, I guess it's, I mean, there's a story going around that Matt Damon was taking a break from acting with <laughs> one caveat. His wife wanted him to take a break. And he said, one caveat is if Christopher Nolan calls me, I'm going back to work. And here he is. Um, This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser. Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. So, uh, this this movie, Oppenheimer, is the story of American scientist J. Robert Oppenheimer and his role in the development of the atomic bomb during World War II. Um, has currently a 94 on Rotten Tomatoes, both critic and audience, which is surprising to me mm-hmm. that it has a 94 audience score, to be honest. Like, this is a long movie. It's a little dense. Um, it's also, uh, in true Nolan style is nonlinear. It's bouncing around through different perspectives instead of time. Although it also bounces around in time. The time isn't really relevant per se. Um, we have, uh, 89 Metascore. So it's, it's really high up there with the critics, uh, 8.8 INV user score and a 4.4 letterbox. So very, very well regarded film. It will have some major backlash reviews though, because Nolan, as much as he has his fanboys, he definitely has established his group of haters. Um, I just remembered one of my favorite jokes in Barbie, uh, that I definitely want to reference later, <laughs> but, um, I know exactly what it is. <laughs> I, you know, uh, as I said it, I was like, Oh, how did I not bring that up? But it's probably a spoiler. So we'll save it. Um, so I got to see this a little early. Um, and I got to see it in the 70 millimeter, uh, projection, which it was, uh, there's not a lot of 70 millimeter projectors in my state. Um, so getting to see it in that was a, a luxury and getting to see it as a critic screening was even more of a luxury because I didn't have to shell out extra bucks, um, in order to get that privilege. I unfortunately do feel like as much as I love film, I am not great at identifying the difference between, uh, things like that. Like people are always like, Oh, you got to see it in 30 millimeter. I'm like, I, don't know that I would know the difference. Um, I'm with and, you. There. Yeah, and I hate that. I wish I did. And part of it is because I don't know that I've had a lot of opportunities to see film projection versus digital projection and know that there's a difference. You know, it's like yes. I, I see big screen, I see flashing images. That's what I'm there for. I'm happy. Um, My first real time was is, is 
90s i watched something uh i watched something in 1998 or 1999 it's done on film and then i watched something like attack of the clones maybe which was the first digital film and that's when i could tell and i know it's a different kind of it's not an entirely uh one-to-one analogy but there is like back in the day i noticed more but now yeah those kind of the look of things are starting to look and you can, you can make a digital film feel like it's made on stock film or 30 millimeters. So I don't notice the difference all the time. Yeah. And I wish I did. Um, it's something I'd like to study more. I don't have that opportunity. There's not a lot of, uh, we like in my area, like my close area. Um, they don't really have any like special screenings like that. If I lived in like LA or something where they were doing like, yeah. you know, where it was a, I could walk across the street kind of thing and see it. I would all the time to 100%. at least try to see the difference, but I, I just don't, but I'm still, I'm happy. I got to, I can say I saw the 70 millimeter print. I am going to go watch it again. I do want to see this the second time. I just, it's three hours. So that always pushes me back a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. It's a whole night. I, I, I love this movie. Um, it's, it's one of my favorite Nolan films uh, because I think it Nolan's, established some very auteur qualities over his uh 12 movies and i i feel like this was this is the pinnacle of all of those tropes like i think every little thing he does every element that he's been pushing for even the fact that i think the whole movie's filmed in imax for once right yeah um where most of his other films he's only done sections in imax it's like he's been rehearsing for this film and the the flawed, the flaws that Nolan has, uh, he's not good at writing women characters. This story feels like that's built into it, right? Like the, the women characters seem like they are pawns in Oppenheimer's game. And that's the vibe that the movie gives me of Oppenheimer is that's exactly what they were. And so like it kind of, it lends itself to that flaw, right? Like that's, I, I just kind of feel like this story by any other filmmaker wouldn't quite land as well because it feels like this is a Nolan thing. It's a, about a scientist who's obsessed with science and obsessed with, you know, promoting this, this idea, um, very self-focused. It's everything about it to me says Nolan and, uh, a biopic in the wrong hands can be, you know, like melatonin. Right. And, Nolan, uh, Danny Boyle has, I love his take on Steve Jobs as a biopic. There's another one recently that I thought was like, wow, what, what execution of a biopic? Cause so many others just do paint by numbers. Like, ah, oh, when were they born? Where were they born? Let's start mm. there. And then we'll end. When did they die? That's where we'll end. And it's like, oh my God, everything they did is not necessary. And we don't have to have these big leaps in time. And then, so Nolan to take a biopic and go, yep, I'm not going to do it linear. <laughs> and we're going to do it from two perspectives. We're going to do it from the man himself. And he actually wrote the screenplay in first person perspective, which is really interesting because it's not usually done that way. And then um, the the black and white sequences are from third person perspectives and how that allows him to manipulate the story. There is a uh, early conversation with um, with Albert Einstein and Oppenheimer that we don't get to hear, but it becomes a centerpiece yeah. of a of another relationship that we can't hear until we are in the subjective perspective of Oppenheimer. And I love how the story structure allows for that to happen. And that's throughout this movie, uh, the way tension is built. And we mentioned there's so many of these actors who come in, but he gives a lot of them some really powerful moments. Uh, Rami Malek gets one of my favorite scenes in the film. And I'm not, I like him, 
he doesn't always work for me though. Um, and here I thought he was really like top tier. Um, he even makes Kenneth Brana tolerable. Like, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> what about like, Jason Clark? No, Jason Clark's still not tolerable. <laughs> I, I was, uh, actually, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to pull back on that a little bit. I, I think maybe Clark's best movie performance, but still not still like, I think arguably a weaker link in the film, um, especially for such a, an important like character. He's, he's got one of the more important parts and he, he does. I don't know, man. I just, I always see the seams of his performance. Like it, it feels so like, I'm going to do this. It's like, yeah, okay, guy, go ahead. I guess like, I, I don't know. I, I'm not saying it needs to be naturalistic either. It's just like his feels like a, I'm going to try real hard. It's like, maybe don't maybe try less because it, it's not working the way you're doing it. But uh, sorry, Jason Clark, if you ever catch wind, I, I please don't beat me up. You probably can. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> but I, I would prefer that you maybe, maybe hold a camera for the next movie, you know, stay off, watch other people do it. Um, you like Burke, do what he says. Yeah. But I, I adored, adored's not right that's the other thing this is not an easy subject matter um because it's controversial for a multitude of reasons uh like one i don't feel like like nolan is celebrating the creation of the atomic bomb i think he's grappling with the weight of what the what it did to the world um and i don't think he's letting oppenheimer get away like and painting him as like a a hero figure but also maybe recontextualizing our thoughts on the man um and it does seem very complex i think there's a lot of factors at play um and i i think just that alone is is a struggle and then i've heard about like the whole new mexico town they like took people's farmlands and they like the stuff i didn't know and is definitely not in the movie that you're like oh this is even more problematic of a of a subject than i realized and i i already thought it was pretty problematic because the atomic bomb killed a lot of people. And it also, you know, it has been now the, the threat of every major power in the world is like, well, we have nuclear weapons and we're one button away from destroying you. And it's like, Oh boy. Uh, You know, how many movies are, are framed of nuclear destruction since world war two, you know, it's, it's been a constant fear. Um, So, obviously the subject matter is dark and, and uh, it's easy to not want something like that to be the fear of it being glorified. Um, I don't think Nolan does that. However, it's still complex. Um, It's still crazy to like process all of what this, this movie represents. And yet it's, I thought severely engaging. I know uh, a lot of people are going to have a hard time with three hours. I didn't, um, I was surprised at some of like when certain things happen. I'm looking at my watch like, wow, we're at two hours. That's when we're going to get this moment. What's going to happen for the next hour? And I was not disappointed. Um, I, I was intrigued by a lot of the stuff. Uh, even the, uh, you know, notoriously Nolan has a lot of exposition dumps, um, because his plots are very complex and he doesn't always, he doesn't always think you can get it. If he doesn't have someone spell it out for you, like there's a notorious scene in inception. Um, But I, I felt like this movie, the exposition made sense most of the time because of the nature of what was going on. Like they were like speaking out loud. They were trying to figure things out 
through conversation because a lot of it was theoretical. And so like the exposition dumps kind of were just like, well, yeah, that's what would happen in real life. So like, I thought that worked and it kind of played into his, um, his tropes, but enough for me, I, I'm going to, I really thought this film was in, incredible. And uh, apparently a lot of other people do too, but Matt, what did you think about Oppenheimer? Uh, I thought Oppenheimer was very good as well, JP. Like we're saying, what a weekend at the movies. Uh, Oppenheimer's great. Like you, I'm a big, big, big fan of Nolan. Uh, Tenet didn't, just didn't really work for me. Uh, of course, appreciate the filmmaking side of it, but that was kind of the first Nolan film where I thought, I, yeah, well, I wasn't as keen on it. Pretty much all of the other ones, going back to following, though I don't often watch that film, uh, I've really, really enjoyed. You know, you, you just look at the man's filmography, and it's insane. I mean, outside of the Batman films, you have Inception, Interstellar, Memento, The Prestige, Dunkirk, which I thought was fantastic, uh, especially on IMAX. It was horrifying. Um, and now Oppenheimer, adding that to the list. Um, like you say, it's it's not linear. It's not suddenly, oh, he's, uh, Chris Nolan's gone straight. But the, the, the actual f- narrative, the biopic side of it, I think is pretty straightforward f- in terms of Nolan films. Um, but... I really, really like this. It's three hours long. Let's get that out of the way. It's a BAMP classic, especially for me to say, oh my God, it's too long. Now, I'm not going to say that here because there was so much to fit in if Nolan was going to do this justice. Uh, I did, I will say, and I have said to JB Offer as well, it took me a little while to get into the film. It took me, I, I say the first third, but I mean, maybe not the full hour, maybe 45 minutes to really kind of get to grips with what we're doing here. The first 45 really setting up um robert uh, oppenheimer's life his alliances with the communist party his early romances and friendship which will then later play into the story in a big way so everything happens for a reason uh, as uh, peter venkman would say but it's it took me a little while to get into it but once it got going you know god damn i mean this felt like a ticking time bomb and i genuinely mean no pun or anything with that this felt like a ticking time bomb there was tension. We all, we all know the outcome, mm. the, the, you know, the abhorrent outcome of everything that's going on here. Uh, but the tension of getting there, you know, the, the physicist Avengers all uh, assembling in Los Alamos to create a weapon of mass destruction. And Nolan goes to great lengths. To, I agree with you hundred percent, Jay, but they're not glorifying the bomb here. They're not saying what a, what a brilliant feat in human engineering. Uh, in terms of theory and mathematics, what they've done, you know, th- there's a kind of a celebration of the human mind in, in, in a way, but not, but even Oppenheimer himself is kind of like, yeah, I know what this is going towards and I'm not sure I, I'm not sure I'm on board. Um, so there's no glorification. However, when they're obviously getting to like the testing side of it, honestly, it gets throttling at points. You're like, Jesus, I hope this, you know, what's going to happen? Because uh, they make a big deal of saying how long it's taken to get here. And Matt Damon's uh, General Grove, Matt Damon is so good in this as well. <laughs> him, him and Killian Murphy, are, every time I sit, hear Matt Damon, I have to do it. Him and Killian Murphy are dynamite together. Uh, I think they're so, so good. And I'm so glad Matt Damon came off of his sabbatical for this. Because what a year he's had, obviously, with Air. He was so good in Air. Yeah. Really good here in Oppenheim Air. Um, you know, I really, really, really love this. I really like the use of black and white and color, uh, like you say, to symbolize objectivity and subjectivity. I thought that was very clever. Um, Killian Murphy is uh, astonishingly good in this role. I think we all know what a good actor he is anyway. But leading this film, he really throws himself into this. He looks the part and he plays the part here. 
and RDJ. I mean, Robert Downey Jr., I'm not going to sit here and say, ah, oh, he shouldn't have been working in Marvel films for the last 10, 15 years because he created one of the great pop culture characters in Iron Man, but mm-hmm. kind of wish he'd done more roles like this instead or in amongst it because he is astoundingly good in this. I think he was great in... I think, he, look, he's great as, as, as Tony Stark, but, you know, I, I really love him going back to sort of Zodiac um, as a really good RDJ performance. And this, for me, is... Um, but obviously, I think it's, it tops that, but... You know, his best performance in almost two decades. I think he's incredible. And I do think there's going to be Oscar nom nominations for him, at least, whether he's going to get the glory or not, I don't know. But but yeah, everybody's in this film. Everybody is in this film. Literally, like you say, Alex Wolf's in it for like four seconds, but it was so cool to see him in this. And the fact that they would probably work for free or not free for a massive paper cut just to be in a Nolan film for two minutes because this film's only got a hundred million dollar budget JP, which plays into our discussion last week that why are films 200, 250, 300 million dollar budgets? You make can make Oppenheimer for a hundred million. It's not, it's not small change, but considering what Nolan can doing this uh, and the way he edits the, the editing in this, I think is, is stunning as well. The way he yeah. builds reality with what's going on in the psyche of Oppenheimer and the, uh, the mm, actual mm-hmm. kind of scientific he visualizes the scientific jargon that's going on in such a way that feels in, that looks very very good it's very ethereal and cathartic at times and it, he's done that without breaking the the back the budget of something like an india or a flash or something silly like that um yeah i think you know outside what i will say is outside of our main characters because there are so many characters at times they're lacking a little bit of depth uh to the point where sometimes I didn't know who was who. So when something that happened or mm. my reveal was made, I thought, who the hell was that? I'm not sure I remember who that was, but yeah. it's that that's the price you pay for such a stacked cast. Uh, Ludwig Jorlinson's score is majestic. I yeah. think in this, the sound design is incredible. Sound design is scary in this film. You know, it's, it's, it's so loud. It's so raw and visceral. Um, I said to you off air as well, JB, that the, the dialogue, Whilst people people knock on uh, Nolan for his writing and dialogue, I had no issue with that whatsoever here. I think the dialogue is really very good in this. I just couldn't hear some of it. And I know a few other people, I've seen more and more people saying that as well. Uh, including, I know Tuna said it as well, Big Tuna, yeah. friend of the show. But at times, mainly in the first third or so, but I just couldn't really hear what was saying. I think where Nolan goes for such a realistic approach to his films, that I think that also applies to his dialogue. So when a, when a character turns his head or maybe looks down, the, the obviously the sound travels with them the adr doesn't pick up anything it doesn't change that it's uh, for me it's really really uh annoying when i go to watch a film like this and i just can't hear what's happening and, and again the sound in in the theater i saw it in is top notch this is a great sound system everything else was out outstanding just a little bit there jb but um for a three-hour film i think you know, it's actually quite, it's actually paced very well. I do think it's going to turn off the casual audience as a three-hour talky film about war. But the film, uh, like I ended my review, JB, the film isn't about the bomb. It's about Oppenheimer. It's about a man who's racked with guilt. A man who a man who has to deal with his peers, the public, the government as well, of course, the military. Uh, and he's you know he's got to come to terms with the creation that he has brought to the world he has given to his gift to the world is something that could end it and he has to live with that and uh, everything with Oppenheimer in it and his 
you know, behind his eyes, basically, I think is some of the best storytelling I've seen in a long, 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 long time. And that's down to obviously Nolan's filmmaking, but Killian Murphy's performance, the editing, the, the overall technical team here absolutely nailed this. Um, yeah, it's one of it's one of Nolan's best films, JB. I could go on for a long time with things I did like. I'll save those for spoilers, but yeah, fantastic performances, fantastic visuals, great uh, sound effects, uh, excellent non-linear storytelling, and probably one of the most damning endings I've seen in years. Both of these films we've spoken about have got memorable endings for different reasons, or kind of memorable final sequences or lines for different reasons. This one is a very haunting ending. Um, but yeah, Oppenheimer, JB, really, really, really enjoyed it. And what a great uh, weekend of film. But uh, anything else you want to chuck in about Oppie? Uh, no, man, that's, um, I think we've covered both films quite well uh, without getting into like specifics. Um, I would say uh, you mentioned like keeping track of all the people though. And it was, like especially if they were saying names of characters i'm like yeah i don't know i don't remember yes. which of the many actors was that particular person until they show back up i'm like oh okay that's so and so of course um oh, yeah visually yeah. i could see when, when they say it or they reveal so and so oh yeah i remember that guy or girl it's just couldn't remember um and uh, also on up and i'm of course there are scenes in this cut where depending on which territory you're in have been edited for uh the 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 country that you're watching it in so do know that there are now there aren't different cuts but there are edited versions depending on where you live in the world which uh is uh interesting but uh, well we are going to have two spoiler minisodes in the upcoming days one for barbie one for oppenheimer they're going to be about 10 minutes or so each we're going to get blast through our spoilery thoughts on those but now we're going to move on to uh, outside of barbenheimer maybe maybe not the, some of the headlines that caught <laughs> our uh, attention this week in our next segment, Shuffed Headlines, we grab a movie or pop culture headline that caught our attention and we share it with each other and we share it with each and every one of you. So, JB, moving away from Barbenheimer, what's your uh, headline this week? So, well, my headline is about Barbenheimer. <laughs> um, uh, good but most too. the box office, um, we, we have seen... Uh, a lot of records broken uh, this weekend. I'm trying to find the Reddit post that I sent you the other day that oh, has Lord. all of the look different at, stuff the, on it. That headline is such a pun as well. Come on. Um, Barbenheimer was a, uh, was a bigger box office explosion than first oh. thought. I, um, I tried to say, you know, you know me, JB, I love a pun, a dad joke. I try to stay away from puns in my Oppenheimer review because of the, the subject matter, but you know, no, these guys just went with it. I dig it. So, uh, there's a quote in this article that I, I have pulled um, if my computer will cooperate. Uh, it's from the Michael O'Leary presidency of national association of theater owners. Um, he says, more importantly, this proves uh, once again, that America's love of going to the movies to see great films. People recognize that something special was happening and they wanted to be a part of it. And I think that is really the heart of what we're seeing with the success of both of these movies. Um, the meme culture that whether or not they're, the studios were actually behind the memes or if they just embraced the memes, because we've seen meme movie marketing fail a la Morbius. <laughs> Morbius. Um, <laughs> it made like $3. There was some concern that is that what's going to happen with Barbie? Is it going to be just like everyone's likes making fun of it, but no one's really invested in it? Oops, and no substance. It, it, this was clearly 
people were invested in it because people came out in droves. So there's a Reddit post uh, that I'm going to just kind of read through some of the, the stats about this weekend. Um, this is the first time in box office history that two movies opened to over $80 million each. Um, it's the fourth time two movies opened over 50 million, even to go a little further than that. Um, uh, one of the top openers, it made a hundred million here. I'm, I'm trying to like scroll through and not read everything verbatim. Um, uh, I think it was um, Oppenheimer is like the fourth highest grossing R rated film since um, since Deadpool or something like that. Like it, these these numbers, especially since COVID, we haven't seen two movies be this successful that came out the same weekend. Um, and one of the things I've loved is seeing all of like the celebrities going to see the movies. Like there's been images of Tarantino going to both films. Uh, other celebrities that have been posting, like I think Selena Gomez rented out a whole theater for Barbie and for her, like a birthday celebration for herself. Um, like stories like that, like, and then just seeing people in pink, like people cosplaying to go to the movies for yep. a non superhero IP is really, really great. I love going to the movies. That is obviously something we talk about here all the time. And, you know, since COVID, I have, I mean, even before COVID, theater going has been down. Since streaming became the norm, theater going is down. Theaters are expensive. It is a luxury. I understand that. Um, and, you know, studios take bad numbers as a sign that, I think they take the as a sign that something's wrong where it should be. Look at when it works. It has to be something that gets public attention that you, if you aren't watching it, you're going to be left out. And that, that FOMO factor, I think is a big part of what we saw with Maverick last year. And I think what we're seeing with Barbie and Oppenheimer, it's like too many people were talking about it, that if you aren't going to see it opening weekend, you're going to have something spoiled because there's too many people out there and like, I don't want to encourage like creating the idea of FOMO, but I do want to encourage that going to the theater for most people is an event and they have to feel like it's going to be worth their money. And if you don't make it feel like it's important or it's, it's a, you know, a cultural touchstone, people don't go. That's why we, you know, Dial of Destiny didn't have that pull the flash it was the opposite social media right like i think the marketing made people even more upset that the guy in the, the lead is troubled you know um to say the least so what we're seeing i hope i would love to believe the studios were smart but uh, given the situations with the strike we're seeing maybe not so much so you know maybe the the wrong lessons will be learned from this but i am hopeful that uh, people, the audiences, will continue to come out to movies that are original, inventive, uh, and, you know, make the theatrical experience worth it. Because I think Barbie, you have that shared communal laugh and love. And Oppenheimer, it's designed to be on the biggest screen possible, literally. Literally. And so it, both movies warrant the, the, the adventure out to the theater more movies need to take advantage of that. Why should you, why should you watch it in a theater versus waiting three weeks to see it at home? And I think Barbie and Oppenheimer had an argument to why you can't wait and people didn't. And let's keep that momentum going when we can. Yeah. hundred percent JB. I, th I believe it was uh, the third biggest Nolan opening of all time behind dark Knight rises and the dark Knight. 
and Barbie was the highest opening weekend for a female director and mm-hmm. Greta Gerwig has broken many similar records with this film and both well, all, all of the records are very deserved and yeah to your point post covid especially I, I couldn't believe it. I, I went to park up to watch Barbie last Friday. Uh, I couldn't get a space in the car park. I literally got the last one. No word of a lie. The last one right in the far corner, um, like the shady part of the car park. And then when I got there, I got there. I usually, if the film, if the advertised time was half seven, I get there in and around that time because you know, I know everyone knows half an hour of trailers and adverts. I can get my uh, concessions. I can run to the toilet. I can settle in. God damn! I I, you know, I got into the theater and the foyer, and the concession stands were packed. I got in yeah. literally. I counted, and this is how sad I am. Forty six seconds from when I sat down, the film started. So it took me oh, wow. half an hour, and I and I was thinking, should I just not bother? Like, no, no, I'm here. I'm getting my popcorn. You you aren't stopping me from getting it. Um, but just looking around and seeing everyone, there were people uh, of all ages um, and all types dressed up for Barbie. There were some who were clearly there dressed up for Oppenheimer as well. People getting dressed up for a Nolan film, which is great. And it was just an explosion of fun. And yes, there's been naysayers and crybabies online talking about certainly Barbie and why it didn't work. Or this is a, you know, somebody think about the children and all this. But the, everybody's rallied around these two films and this whole movement of Barbenheimer. And I do honestly think it will be looked at in maybe by John Burke in film classes in years to come on how viral marketing can probably push your film over certain lines. Because, you know, the fact that these two films are excellent is the main takeaway but people were banking on weren't even banking on that. they they were just like barbie and up and up going together going against each other this is great and they caused this kind of swell of attention which may or may not have happened uh may may not may or may not have, sorry of uh impacted the box office if this didn't happen if this didn't happen do these films do so well maybe maybe not but people were wanting to go to the theater for the first time in a long time and i'm so pleased and you know barbie is an ip let's not pretend it isn't but something which isn't a star wars marvel dc those kind of films you know these these are this has become an event film barbie and oppenheim became an event and it's a weekend people were doing uh double features back to back you know god bless all of you who did that i did mine over two nights uh, but i was excited again and even going last night to watch talk to me the barbie screenings were sold out the Nolan ones, I checked the the Nolan ones, the Oppenheimer ones were near sold out because I checked uh, when I was waiting for the film to start to see how many seats were left and they were near sold out. People are going back and back and back to watch these films. And I love it, JP. You know, I love it. Like you, I've loved all of the memes. I've loved all of the posters, the, the, the mashup posters that have come out. Um, yeah, Sony dropped the ball with Morbius, but Morbius sank badly so these two could run. Uh, and yep. fly towards the sun but yeah i, I think it's uh, i think it's great for cinema obviously with what mission impossible and tom cruise has been doing recently as well there's a real feeling that event cinema is coming back and i'm here for it john i'll always will be yeah i i think uh that's the exciting news from my end what was your headline or uh, headlines well my original one which i mean i really very quickly touch on it was uh, emma stone and yorgos lanthimos uh film poor things has been pushed to December, uh, though it's still going to have a um, presence at, I think it's Venice Film Festival, uh, whereas the upcoming Zendaya uh, Luca Guadagnino film, The Challengers, has been pushed from Venice because of the ongoing SAG-AFTRA strikes. Uh, but it's just the first now, there's the first two films that I've really noticed 
that have been moved. Uh, the challenges have been moved to 2024. Uh, Poor Things has been moved to December to because of the strikes. And they are preempting that maybe they'll be done by them. So let's move it to December so Emma Stone and the gang can promote the film. There's been talk of obviously Dune uh, Part 2 uh and uh blue beetle and aquaman aquaman sorry aquaman aquaman being moved i don't think blue beetle will know i think they said it's not but it's just a sign now that studios are going to start feeling it it's the you know the the air the rope is tightening now around everybody it would be so much easier just to pay the writers and the actors what they're worth than pushing your films and losing yourself a ton of money in the long run but it is what it is but um i've decided to eschew that uh, headline jb for the big news of the week you know the big maybe the biggest news of the year i know you agree with me john um no no but one i've been very excited for uh the articles from variety but uh the exorcist believer the trailer has been released it was released about half an hour before we started um recording literally half an hour before i was actually going to just mention the posters i was pretty much going to say how about them posters jb so i googled the title of the film and it literally said, like, Variety, two minutes ago, the trailer's released, bang. Uh, so that's come out now. It's coming out on um, Friday, October the 13th, a couple of weeks before Halloween, with the news that the, the sequel's also been announced for theatres for April the 18th in 2025. I thought that was going straight to Peacock. But whereas this one's called The Exorcist Believer, here we go, JB. The sequel is called, genuinely, The Exorcist Deceiver. So we've got Believer, Deceiver, and what's the third one going to be called? Belieber? Who knows? But Dreamweaver. Dr- uh, dream. I oh, know. Almost got me there. Dreamweaver. Um, so we've got the films coming out October the 13th. Sequels coming out April the 18th, 2025. Uh, and then obviously the unknown third film in this planned trilogy. But the trailer has come out now. Now, obviously, everybody knows how much I love the original. It was my favorite film ever. It's the best film ever made. The sequels have been uh, fine in terms of their quality. The third one's great. The second one is abhorrent. Uh, though I really respect John Borman's, um, well, just his vision, you know, changing it all up. And the prequels were, they weren't great. So this one is going to be a direct follow up to the 1973 film by William Friedkin. Uh, and it's, uh, it's set in modern times. The trailer's here. I was very excited, very intrigued when the trailer dropped. And I've got to say, JB, I really dug half of it. But half of it <laughs> was great. And the other half made me think, Oh God, this is David Gordon Green. I think so, like the final half of the trailer, I think was really, really very good. There's some really cool imagery in it. It felt a little bit more like what I would expect to see, though of course some of it was actually lifted directly from the original film. Um, especially when we get Ellen Burstyn back, which is great. Don't kill Ellen Burstyn's character, um, Chris McNeil. But in the first half, when we were kind of setting the scene and we were and we were with Leslie Odom Jr., who is the father, called Victor, and his kids, uh, Angela, played by Lydia Jewett, and her friend Catherine, played by Olivia Marsham. Their kind of disappearance and what what happened about that and the investigation into it, I thought, oh, I'm, this just looks like any other film. This could be any other Blumhouse film. This could be any other demon film. And I was like, this, oh, no, my worst fears were coming true. And then there's a scene in a church where this kid is saying for the blood and the body. And I thought, okay, fine. I like the imagery. And then you hear the demon voice. And I thought, oh, God, and I almost swore, oh, no. Because it just sounds so generic, JB. It sounds so vanilla. Mm -hmm. The best part about the original is you've got Mercedes McCambridge and she 
did everything that she did to her own self in order to get that voice, but it felt disembodied. It didn't sound masculine. It didn't sound feminine. It didn't sound like anything. It's horrifying. And now they just stick it through, um, you know, computer generated filter. And it just sounds, it's not, it doesn't sound believable. It just doesn't sound good. And that worried me. What I did like though, was the kind of the use of the theme. I was like, Oh, this red, they're teasing me with the original, theme the tube yeah. of hills they didn't do like a, a synth pop version of it or uh, as is um on vocal now or a piano led one because it is so when that did hit, i was like oh yes give it to me and they used a picture of linda blair from the front of a vhs from one of the old films she's in which i thought was very funny but um i i i i thought half of it was really good some great imagery in there i thought the other half worried me because it just looked like any other film still excited still intrigued I was hoping it would be a little bit more focused on, maybe it will be, but on, like the original, faith, good versus evil, human struggle, uh, all of this kind of stuff that we know the first film deals with. I feel like they're going to eschew some of that. As much as David Gordon Green says it's going to be a powerful story about a human story, him and Danny McBride are on board, and I don't know about that. And the other two writers he's got don't film with any confidence. So... Like some of it, the other half worried me. I'm still excited, still intrigued, but we'll see. But I know you saw this, JB, because I, I told you about it. What did you think about the trailer for The Exorcist Believer? Yeah, I I am not, like, I obviously like the original, um, but I'm not as, like, big a fan of it as you. Uh, so I have less stakes in this. And um, had this come out immediately after the 2018 Halloween, I would have been all about it. Cause I was so into the 2018 Halloween, yeah, I but this, but this is coming out post Halloween kills and Halloween ends, which <laughs> I hate. Uh, so I have very little hope in, mm. in this. Um, and the trailer didn't sell me anymore. Uh, it didn't make me think it's going to be Halloween kills, but yeah, there's some real generic like camera work to be scary. Like in that church sequence, like where the camera is just like cutting in rapidly and like, Dutch angle, this angle, this is close up. It's out. It's like, okay, calm down. You know, like things were scary when cameras didn't jerk around insanely. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's a weird trend that I'm seeing with horror. It's like, if we disorient you, it's like, if you can disorient me and it makes sense to why I'm being disoriented and not just to get the scare because movies can do that, you know, frequently. So I, I'm still not sold. Uh, also, like, I don't know the reason that it needs to be two. Is it because it's a sequel? That's why there's two girls this time and they're in unison. Like, I get like what what sense does that make? Um, in a, and to be fair, when The Exorcist came out, I don't believe there was any real possession films to the level that The Exorcist went at oh, least. No, nowhere near. Yeah. And now there are so many and, and they're, they're bad. so bad. Yeah. Most, <laughs> like, most of them are bad. I mean, you could say the same with like shark movies, right? Like it's like Jaws and then so many bad shark movies. And then every once in a while we get a gem like the shallows where you're just like, oh, yeah, yeah. someone got it. But and that's true of the exorcism movies, too. Every once in a while, there's one that like really works. But then there's so many that don't. And I don't know why that is um, mimicry. You think they'd be able to like copy what ha- what the first film does, but they they can't quite be free. They copy can. the wrong elements. They copy they the, copy the r- gratuitous side of it, not the yeah. dr- dramatic side of it. 
which we see a lot with studios trying to recreate the magic, right? Because they don't get the magic. Yeah. The artist, Friedkin gets the magic. Nolan gets the magic. Gerwig gets the magic. The production, the people who have the money and give the money and greenlight the projects, all they're looking at is numbers and they think they understand what did it and it's not. And that's, I'm starting to think that's David Gordon Green in a nutshell though. Like, I don't think he gets what people like about the original franchises. And to me, the proof of that is look what you did with Halloween 2018. And then you did like, you took none of the lessons from that movie's success and just did random stuff with the next two. Yeah. yeah. And I don't, I don't trust that he has the right thing. Cause again, it's like, why two? now could there be a really good explanation and that could be compelling and interesting? Maybe, but I don't have that faith right now. <laughs> like, oh, pun. Double the scares, I guess. I mean, yeah. it's the only thing I can think of. My my buddy, Eamon, uh, proper journalist, Eamon Jacobs from the UK, he's just texted me about it, actually saying that. Um, he pretty much said, "Face, let's face it, to, to actually make any impact, this film, The Exorcist Believer, is going to at least need to try and be groundbreaking like the OG. Otherwise, it's just a sequel which is no different to any of the other films that have come out relative to it. And the sad fact is that is the case with a film as big as Halloween or the exorcist to release spending certainly 40, almost 50 years, it's been 50 years since the exorcist, 50 years in December. Wow. To to try and now say, look, we're going to, we don't worry about the sequels. You know, they maybe they're canon, do what you want, but I am going to come and now I am going to give you what happened next. Firstly, bold move. And I respect it. I can't wait to see what Billy Friedkin says about the, the film when it's released. I know what he thinks about it already and it ain't good. Bless God bless mm. you, Billy. Um, but and and you know I uh, uh, something like this you, again you know what I think about the original I'm not going to pretend that this was a great trailer when it wasn't but um, but if you're going to come out and say this is the sequel to the to one of the biggest films of all time like without inflation it's like the fifth sixth biggest film ever you have you know you've got to respect the original and you've got to have a story worth telling and you've got to give us something that not that we haven't seen before but something let's it's got to be on par with what came before. Because Halloween 2018, I think, was actually really good. I think, for me, I think Halloween is a good film, 78. Uh, very, very uh, influential. But, you know, as a film, I think it's fine. I think Halloween 2018 is no worse than Carpenter's film. Shoot me. Carpenter's a much better filmmaker. Let's say that as well, though. Um, I don't. I can't see the, the Believer being any on the same level or as good as the original. No, no bias there whatsoever. I just cannot see a film... This one, from what I've seen now, being as good as what came before with The Exorcist and saying to the world, here's my film. This is how it's telling the, the continuing the story. And this is why it matters. And this is why you've got to see it. And this is why it's different from every other two-bit exorcism film that's come out since. That's what worries me, JB. Is it just going to come out and then be like, well, great. So here's Saw 10 instead. It's got to, it's got to oh. mean something. I forgot about the Saw 10 trailer. Now I got to go watch that too. Um, oh, but it's, it's yeah. got to mean something. No, I, I think you're right. And I even, I got to say, I understand releasing a horror movie in October. And I also mm. understand releasing a horror movie on Friday the 13th. But I both of those do that. feel cheesy, especially for a movie that should have some weight. You know, like you release Halloween in October, hands down. It's Halloween. That's if, of course, any yeah. horror movie. But but for this movie that has a prestige background with the first one, I feel like you don't follow that that 
cheesy trend of releasing in October and releasing on a Friday the 13th. And let's double that together. I guess it's double, double, right? We got the two girls and you get Friday the 13th in October. There Um, we go. It's, it's, it just feels wrong. It feels like the wrong vibe for this movie. Like it, it feels silly. Like you put saw 10 or whatever the heck saw we're getting on Friday the 13th in October. Yeah, that makes totally get it. A hundred percent. I'm on board with that. It's, it's a franchise that we take no seriousness to, but like you said, choosing to make the direct sequel ignoring those others of a prestigious horror film one that many many horror people list as the best film of all time that's it um, it's like you're tone deaf like you don't see what you're doing like what you have what you have what's at stake with the property that you've chosen to 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 build upon and a sequel's already been announced like we said the exorcist deceiver has already been announced for 2025 so they're hedging their bets that this is going to be a this is going to coast on by the name and if the money made by the sequels is anything to go by this is not going to be a money spinner it has to be a damn good film to make the money of course an exorcist film or a horror film in october is going to make a little bit more money because it's the time of the season and you bet your ass i'm going to be there on friday the 13th in october watching this yeah and obviously hopefully being able to see it before as well universal i'm looking at you um but it's not guaranteed to make money the first film made huge untold amounts of money for a film like this none of the other ones have since so you know, they've already got a sequel coming out, which is going to be released theatrically. I thought they were both going to be in, on Peacock. Turns out they're not. Maybe the third one will. Like I said, well, that's going to be called Dreamweaver. But um, yeah, so, it, so that, there's the trailer. It's come out. I was very excited. It hasn't dampened my enthusiasm because I've always kind of been a little bit arms reached with it. I'm not somebody who says they shouldn't do it because I don't th- I don't like that kind of gatekeeperism. It isn't a remake. Had it been a remake, it's a different story. It's a sequel. It's a legacy yeah. sequel, whatever. But you've got to prove why you're doing it. So, um, JB, are you going to have sleepless nights tonight? No. No. Well, maybe, but it's not related to the stupid trailer. (laughs) Yeah, no. (laughs) Uh, Right. Well, let's move on then. Like we said, we're not going to be doing media consumption this week. That's going to kind of tie into our next week's episode because we have gone big this week with Barbenheimer. Uh, But we are going to tell you, though. In a weekend that was bloody awesome. We, you know that we all know what a bloody awesome weekend at the movies. And we've had to stay bloody awesome as well throughout the rest of the week. So JB, how have you been keeping those bloody awesome levels topped up? Well, about a year ago, uh, a good friend of mine moved away out of the state, and um, he came into town this week. Um, and so Friday night, uh, we went to. I think it was Friday. Now I'm not sure. Maybe it was Saturday. It's been a long weekend. Uh, no, it was Friday night. Friday night, uh, we went to dinner at this really nice restaurant um, that has like uh, Nolan's theme cuisine. So I got an uh, incredible jambalaya. Um, and then we went and saw Barbie. That was my second time seeing Barbie uh, with a group. And similar to you, um, the theater we were going to doesn't have reserved seats. though. And I'm like, we should probably go ahead and go in. Because I'm like looking around and there's pink everywhere in this area. And I'm like, there, there's a lot of people going to Barbie. And they had several, like I think every hour to every 45 minutes there was another show starting. But um, we went in early and we got good seats, but it did. It packed out. Uh, we had to wait a while to get a soda and popcorn kind of thing. Um, but uh, we had a blast watching Barbie. Um, and then uh, my friend, he flew out this morning, in fact, uh, when we were recording this. But I got to see him one more time yesterday. We went and had... Um, 
it was funny because like I was like, so do you want to meet up to get coffee or like dinner or what? Like, what do you think? And he's like, coffee sounds great. And so uh, a group a group of our friends w- met at a, a very famous chain coffee shop, and um, I'm the only one who got coffee. <laughs> I'm just like, Oh man, what's all that about? Uh, yeah, I'm like, why did like like he did get a drink, but he got like one of the the refresher type drinks, which I'm just like, okay. we could have gone like we could have got ice cream. Like, there's there's a million things to do that's like social, but I felt bad because I'm like, I, I I will drink coffee at like it was in the afternoon, mind you too, which to me is very normal for coffee. But I'll drink coffee at like seven o'clock because I have way too much caffeine in me, so that's kind of my like default resting state is like caffeinated, and so. Um, <laughs> I was like, oh, well, but I got to see him one last time and uh, before he goes back to the other state that he now lives in. And I don't blame him, although I miss him and I wish I wish it wasn't the case. Um, A lot of my friends live far away now, including you, jerk. Uh, But I mean, you've always lived far away, but that's not the point. Yes, it's always been the case. (laughs) Yeah, but uh, but nevertheless, um, it's you know, it's it's great getting to see people. It's great getting to go out and 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 be with friends. And it was really fun getting to see Barbie with a, a large group of people. Um, and uh, for me too, because it was hard not to like watch this part. Like, there are so many moments that I want. I'm like, this is the best. Um, so, but that was that's how I say Blade Awesome. We got to see a friend and uh, have dinner with some other friends that I see more often. But it was like it was a big group. Um, and then see Barbie a second time. What about you, bud? What have you been doing to stay bloody awesome? Well, Barbenheimer would be would be the way, of course. But um, I wish I'd done what you've done. Now. I went out for a meal and got a, a caffeinated drink beforehand at a major chain. Not a refresher. I do enjoy a refresher, but you know, I'm with you on that one, JP. Um, but my one, John. Do you know what? I, I, in in all 100 percent honesty, since the last episode, all I've done is watch films, G- literally, because uh, I've had uh, time to myself. My daughter's away on holiday with her mum. She's having a great time. Um, so I'm kind of like twiddling my thumbs. Like, what do I do? That's why I've been able to watch so many films, certainly from the festival. Um, so I've just been watching films. But um, we, uh, I was invited onto uh, the BBC uh, in Essex this, this afternoon, as it turns out. Saved me for the saved me for the segment alongside my Star Wars sessions co-host and buddy Luke to talk about a a Star Wars figure that sold in the UK. It was it originally sold for one pound fifty in 1978, which is about two dollars now and back then even less uh and it's just sold at auction for twenty six thousand six hundred seventy pounds which is seventeen thousand times more than its original value uh, and it got picked up by the local station up in essex and they wanted a couple of star wars geeks to talk about it and we're, we're on where they go to for star wars which is fun so i went on went on the radio this afternoon for 10 minutes to have a bit of fun talking about how absurd it is that anyone would pay twenty six thousand pounds for a, an action figure uh which we did, you know, as, as much as we love Star Wars and say, and John, you know, as much as we love films, you know, paying nearly $30,000 for a figure is insanity. <laughs> I love people who can do that. And if you can do it, more power. I don't, I, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. You know, Star Wars was built on collectibles and that's part of the charm of being a fan is those hidden gems. But, you know, being able to, being able to drop 30 grand on, on a figure is wild. But um, so we went on, spoke about that. And that was fun talking to Sadie on BBC Essex. I don't know if they're going to release any of the footage. I think they said they would, but uh, that was a lot of fun to go on, go on the airwaves and just talk a bit of daft Star Wars news for 10 minutes or so uh, during the afternoon. But other than that, yeah, it has literally been filmed, Sean. I haven't been out and about as much as I would have done usually because I've just had time on my hands. And like you said, up top, I've I filled it with films, even though sometimes you do kind of feel like you're like, oh, 
I don't know if I've got the energy to watch another one, but I suppose I've got four hours before I go to bed. I'm going to fit another one in. Otherwise, I'm just going to be sitting here uh, doom scrolling from you, through YouTube. So uh, basically, yeah, just talking uh, about oddly priced Star Wars figures on the radio this afternoon, John, has been my bloody awesome news of the week. Well, sir, I think that's... Uh, I wish you had gone first because I would have pretended that I was the one who bought the action figure. I'm like, oh, well, um, but you know... <laughs> It could have uh, been you. I know you've got uh, 30 grand in your back pocket. Oh, yes. Just lying around for action yeah. figures. Um, we all have, surely. I am one of those <laughs> rich teachers, you know, so. I didn't want to out you, JP, but you've done it yourself now. Um, it hurts. But, uh, well, like we said, we mentioned it ad nauseum on the show now, uh, but next week we're going to be covering a slew of Fantasia uh, International Film Festival uh, choices. Now, like we've said before not all of them will be available immediately in your territory or maybe even at all but that's no reason not to tune in because some of these films may be great some may not be but the bamp is always great so please do tune in to hear us talking about fantasia and also what else we've been catching up with as well outside of fantasia we'll be talking about you know talk to things like that other films we've seen as well so next week is just full-on film chat uh, and i'm very much looking forward to it jb and we've got spoiler mini sides of Barbie and Oppenheimer dropping in the next few days. So we'd love to hear what you thought about these two films and the whole event experience as well. Uh, find us online, find us on Twitter or, or X, whatever that idiot's calling it now, at BAMP underscore podcast, B-A-M-P underscore podcast. Uh, JB, where are we on Instagram? We are at Bloody Awesome Movie Pod. Uh, yes, sir. If you want to find us on Facebook, um, you can do. At Bloody Awesome Movie Podcast. We're also on threads at the same as our IG handle. Uh, if you want to see us on the tomato meter, you will see us on there because we are approved by Rotten Tomatoes. We'll contribute to the tomato meter for pretty much all the films we talk about. So check us out on there. If you want to find uh, what I've been talking about and writing about in regards to Fantasia and just film in general, uh, you can follow me uh, across all the social media to search what I watch tonight or go to whatiwatchtonight.co.uk. And JB, whereabouts are you? I'm at BurkeReviews.com and at BurkeReviews on all the social media platforms. Yes, sir. And if you like what you're hearing, we really do hope you are. Please do drop us a five-star rating and review on your podcast provider of choice to get more listeners in and get us up those algorithms and ranking lists that are out there. But guys, with that, as always, stay bloody awesome. And keep watching movies. Blood, 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 bloody, blood, 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 bloody.